All right. Give the Lord a hand one more time. <laughs> now, I'm going to ask everyone to stand just for the reading of a couple of Scripture verses. I want to talk to you today about high-stakes Easter, the high-stakes of Easter. And let me uh, look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 8. In the Corinthian church, a little rumor had been spreading around that was very stupid, very silly, but it had to do with whether or not there was any resurrection of the dead. And so this became a controversy. Now, Paul heard about it, and Paul wrote back, and he dedicated 1 Corinthians 15 to talking about the resurrection from the dead. Now, I want us to look at what he told them. He said, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. Then he was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scriptures said. Now, look what he claims happened after Jesus rose from the dead. He's about to give a list of eyewitnesses. First, he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Now notice, he's about to make sure we understand that he can back up what he's telling us by what he says next. Most of them are still alive. In his day, the 500 witnesses who had seen the resurrected Christ were still alive. And so he said, some have died, but most of them could tell you, yeah, I saw him. Wasn't just the apostles, wasn't just the disciples. I saw him. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. And then last of all, Paul says, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Eyewitnesses. At least right there, 513 eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Christ. Father, thank you for your word today. And I pray for anyone who might be far away from you, here today or listening by radio. Lord, touch them and help us to see the reality of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you say with me, he has risen. You can be seated. And let me just talk about this a little bit. The high stakes of Easter. There's high stakes involved in Easter. Now, the Bible clearly is crystal clear on its claim that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rose from the dead. A dead man got up again. Let's just be straight about it. A dead man got up again. Now, let me give you a little bit of personal testimony. I can honestly say that I have staked most of my entire life on the empty tomb. I got saved at 16. I started preaching the Word of God at 18. I am 56 now. <laughs> and I've been preaching all these years. I've staked my life on an empty tomb. You should know everything I am, everything I own, everything I've done or hope to do rests on whether or not Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. Every plan we have for this church, every message that comes out of this church, every dollar we spend in this church 
is based on an empty tomb. The decision I made decades ago to put my trust in Jesus Christ while sitting in a juvenile detention center as a 16-year-old arrested for narcotics. When I gave my heart and life to Christ at 16, I did it based on an empty tomb. My decision to attend theological seminary, to pursue doctoral studies, which I did for years, to build local churches, to write books, and to go into radio, and now take it nationwide with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was all, listen, a wasted effort, all for nothing, if the tomb was not empty. We're wasting our time today spinning our wheels, making idiots of ourselves if there is no empty tomb. The woman I married right there in green was dictated by whether or not the tomb was empty. For I would not not have married anyone but a person who herself had staked everything on an empty tomb. And that's the truth. And if you're single... And you believe in the empty tomb, you better not believe in or marry somebody who believes in a full one. Now that's free and has nothing to do with Easter, but it'll save you thousands in counseling. The friends we have made, the values we live by, the criticisms we endure, and the direction toward which our focus and our strength and all of our efforts hinge is on an empty tomb. See, we don't just have Easter Sunday here on Easter. We have Easter Sunday every Sunday. And we have a church full of people who are resurrected people who have put their faith in an empty tomb. And I'm going to be very, very blunt and very clear today about what Christianity is all about. This day today is not about an Easter bunny. It's not about eggs, though we had about 300 children looking for them yesterday on our property. That's not what it's about. It is about an empty tomb. It is about a miracle. It is about a once in all eternity miracle. A dead man got up again. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, my life is a sham. I've built churches in vain, prayed in vain, studied in vain, suffered in vain, and deceived thousands of people through the years. In short, I've invested everything in and staked everything on and entrusted everything to the empty tomb. What about you? Where do you stand in life, sir, ma'am? Where do you stand? What have you thought about the empty tomb? Have you? Have you thought about it? You're visiting today. You're not usually in church, and I understand that. I understand why people don't go to church. But let me ask you a million-dollar question. Have you considered the empty tomb? Have you considered the person of Jesus Christ? Get your eyes off of the Christians that you've had your eyes on where you said, I don't believe in God because I see the way they live or the way they don't live. Forget that. You're not going to answer to them when you go to the judgment seat. Forget all that. Let me ask you, sir. Let me ask you, ma'am. Have you considered the empty tomb, what Easter is all about, and what it means to you and for you? Arnold Toynbee, the great British historian, once said, if the body of one Jew, Jesus of Nazareth, can be produced, then Christianity will crumble into a lifeless religion. This is just another philosophy, another religion, another thing people get into. If the tomb 
is not empty. Christianity rests its reputation on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christianity rests on Easter. We are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. At least that's the Bible's claim about it. The Bible claims that this man, Jesus Christ, who walked the shores of Galilee, who was considered an insurrectionist, a troublemaker, who purportedly healed the sick and raised the dead and taught like no man has ever taught, This Jesus was crucified on the cross like we just saw. And this Bible claims that after three days, a dead man got up again, walked out of his tomb, and now rules the universe from the gates of glory. What do you think about that? Have you thought about that? If you place your faith in that empty tomb, you might say, well, Pastor Jeff, why does that really matter? I'm a busy guy. I'm a busy woman. I've got things to do, places to go, money to make, bills to pay, kids to raise. Why would all this matter to me? I'm not really a religious person. You don't have to be. You're not supposed to be. You're a person. Now, let me draw you a little picture and tell you why this matters to you. I've never gambled. I've never gambled for a dime, never pulled a slot machine, never done it, but I'm told that in every game of high-stakes poker, there comes a defining moment that separates the winners from the losers. You never know when that moment's going to come in a high-stakes poker game. It's up to the individual players and the hands they're dealt. But the moment will arrive, and one of those players says two words, all in. All in. All in. Now, when somebody says all in, it means he thinks or she thinks they've got the best hand, a hand that will beat any other hand at the table. And what they decide is, I'm going to stake everything on this hand. So he flips his card over so everybody can see them. And then the person who said all in stands up. All in. Going all in means you're risking everything. You've got on just one hand. We've seen it on TV. They wear the shades in a darkened room so you can't see their eyes. Caps pulled over their head. And these are the pros. And they watch the cards that are dealt. And finally, one of them will say, all in, and he'll stand up or she'll stand up. And there might be millions in the middle of that table. All the chips are in the middle of the table. Millions of dollars in the middle of the table. Rent, mortgage payments, College payments for children. Everything is in the middle of that table. Going all in means I'm going to risk everything I've got on this one hand. You're convinced you hold a winner. Now guess what? If you win, you win it all. But if you lose, you lose it all. You lose it all. It's all gone. Just like that. If you win, you leave rich. If you lose, you leave broken. Everything is on the line in a high-stakes game. Now listen carefully to me. Likewise, everything is on the line with what you do with Jesus. Listen. How you respond to his claims, how you respond to the Bible's message about him. What you do with that is the highest-stakes game you will ever play. 
The stakes are much higher than millions in the middle of the table because the stakes you can't put a price on. As a matter of fact, I'm wrong. You can. There's only one currency that could purchase your soul, and it's the blood of the Lamb of God that we just saw up here. Now, hang on. Listen. Very, very important here that we get this because, you see, the most valuable thing you possess is not your house, not your car, not your bank account. I don't care if you're Donald Trump and you've got billions of dollars. The most precious and valuable thing you possess is the soul God gave you. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, I just believe when I die, I die, and back to the dust I return. That's not what this Bible says about you. This is not what Jesus says about you. Jesus claimed that he came to give his blood the currency that could purchase your soul and redeem your soul and save your soul because when your body stops functioning, you don't. You go on and on and on ad infinitum, ages without end. You go on and on and on you go. If that's not true, we're all fools and Jesus was a fraud and let's go home. But it is true. Do you believe what he said? Jesus told us what the stakes were. Let me read you what Jesus said. He said, here you are. You're at the the poker table of life. He says, let me tell you what you need to go all in on. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Listen to that, dear friend. There's the high stakes. Jesus said, you've got an eternal soul, and if you do not put your faith in what I have done on the cross, what we just saw on the video screen, which made me weep both services, how he suffered, how he died, the price he paid. Why did he have to pay such a price? Do you see that crucifixion on the cross? That's how ugly sin is. That's what sin did. That's the price that had to be paid for your sin, my sin. And Jesus did that because he knew and taught that we didn't just die and go away, but he knew we were eternal. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. There's the stakes, the eternal soul that abides within you. Whether you are saved or lost. There's no bigger gamble than that at the poker table of life. There is no bigger gamble than that. That's why you need to consider very carefully what he said. What he taught. The message that Christ brought to the human race. Once you hear what the Bible says about him, there's going to come a moment... And for everyone here today, the moment is now. It's here. This is your moment. There's going to come a moment where having considered his claims of who he was and his promise of eternal life, you either say all in or fold. So, you know, Jeff, I'm just not ready to make that decision. Like I said, things to do, places to go, bills to pay, kids to raise. I'll think about it when I'm older. You don't know that. You don't know if you're going to get older. I deal in situations all the time as a pastor where people who thought they had years left didn't. And do you know what? 
They have tracked it. People who say, well, I'll wait until I'm dying. Then I'll make up my decision so I can have my cake and eat it too. Live the way I want to. And when I'm almost dead, then I'll repent. Do you know that a precious few percentage of people ever come to Christ on their deathbed? You do it now. You do it today. All in or fold. Well, Jeff, I'll do it another day. You just folded. You just folded. To not make a decision is to make a decision and fold. All in. So what does the Bible say about this amazing person found in the pages of of Scripture? This man that walked the shores of Galilee whose life divided history between B.C. and A.D.? Is he a winning hand? Let Let me just say, to keep our illustration going, I want to suggest that the hand dealt us in the person of Christ is the most winning hand of all. Four aces. If you want to know if Jesus is a winning hand, there's no one else who has the words of eternal life. Well, let's talk about the first ace, his birth. That's the first ace of four aces, the winningest hand of all. The first one is his birth. Jesus was born of a virgin. Do you know that when you come to Christ, when you are approached by the story of Christ or the message of Christ, I should say, when you're approached by that message, you're approached by two miracles right off the bat, a virgin's womb and an empty tomb. A virgin's womb and an empty tomb. How does a virgin have a baby? By the power of God. See, if God is God, then God can do anything that God wants to do. God is God. If God is God, he can say to this, do this, and he does it, and that, do that, and it does it. He can speak and something appears, and he can speak and something disappears. If God is God, God can do whatever God wants to do. And so God can easily speak and say to a little virgin named Mary, a teenage Jewish girl, conceive. And inside of her, as the Word of God says, that which is, was conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was not born of a man because he was not tainted and stained by Adam's sin. He is, his father was literally God. The prophet Isaiah, centuries before Jesus appeared, predicted this very thing. He said, the Lord himself is going to give you a miraculous sign. The virgin is going to have a baby. She will give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. That's what Easter is all about. Here's where Easter began with a miraculous birth. There's no one in all of history, not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Confucius, none of them who made this claim. Yes, I was born of a woman. But my daddy, my father, was God. So the birth of Jesus was miraculous, a sovereign act of God, a supernatural event. Are you all in? Are you all in? Or are you folding? Are you all in? Or do you fold right there? Consider the claims of Jesus Christ. The second ace is his works. First ace, his birth. Second ace, his works. If you want to know what Jesus Christ was all about, look at what he did. As a grown man, we are told in the pages of Scripture that as a grown man at 30 years old, he was launched into his ministry, and when he began his ministry, he healed the sick. He brought dead people back to life again. He called Lazarus out of a tomb who had been dead for four days and nights. He called him out of there. 
He taught the most profound philosophical truths about life and living, more profound than any other philosopher or teacher in all of the history of the world, and he claimed that he was God. This Jesus we're celebrating today, this is not a religious festival. This is celebrating an incredible miracle. Jesus said, I am God. He said, before Abraham existed, I existed. He said, I am the bread of life, the light of the world. I've come to the world to to save sinners, to seek and to save that which was lost. I am from another dimension, another world, another place. I am from eternity. I I am God wrapped in flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was very God. I am God wrapped in flesh. I am God with skin on Him. That's what Jesus said. Our leading religious leader came to Jesus one night and said, Rabbi, we know that God is with you because if he wasn't with you, you could not do the miraculous works that you are doing. Nicodemus said, we see what you're doing and nobody could do what you're doing unless he were from God. Muhammad didn't do these things. Buddha didn't do these things. Confucius didn't do these things. They walked around and said a few things. Nobody walked up to blind people and opened up their eyes or deaf people and opened up their ears or dead people and called them out of the grave. Jesus himself told the crowds who were following him. He said, believe me, and that I am in my Father and my Father is in me. And if you can't believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, then you can believe what you see, these works I'm doing. When John the Baptist was languishing in prison before his execution, he sent one of his followers to ask Jesus if he were the one or do we wait for another. Jesus responded to John, who was having a despondent moment, sitting in prison. And Jesus said, you go back and you tell John this. Go back and report to John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Jesus knew what had been prophesied about the coming Messiah by Isaiah, among others, who said the deaf will hear, the blind will see, the lame will walk. And so he said, go back and tell John what you see. And so when John was told that, he said, he's the one because of the works. You had the birth and you had the works. No man in all of history, not one, scour history, go ahead, grab all the books. You won't find one religious leader who ever did the things he did, the works. Second ace. Third ace, his death. We just saw it up there. His death. Beaten beyond recognition, crown of thorns thrust on his head. His life ended at the young age of 33 years old on the most awful instrument of torture conceived in the ancient world, the cross. This too, amazingly, was predicted centuries before crucifixion was ever even hatched in the cruel minds of men. David the psalmist, a thousand years before Jesus ever lived, the Spirit of God came upon him and he spoke for Jesus in the first person. His prophecy was in the first person. Instead of saying, instead of David saying, I see this happening, he used the first person, Jesus talking through him. And here's what he says in Psalms 22, verse 16. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. 
how did David ever know about that? Because there was no crucifixion. But he said, they have pierced my hands and my feet. They have put a nail through my hands and my feet. I see them casting lots for my garment. They're offering me wine to drink, and I don't accept it. Isaiah the prophet also wrote centuries before Christ arrived on earth, and he said, and I want you to hear this today, because this third ace is the big one. This third ace, the death of Jesus, because though it was gruesome and agonizing and bloody and awful, and I saw some of you turning away, you couldn't even watch the video, but that was not the way it really was. It was worse. But that ace, that death of Jesus, as bad as it was, was an ace for you and me. It was a good ace for you and me, because listen to what Isaiah said. Isaiah the prophet wrote these words, quote, the fact is it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. He was hung up for your hangups, all the things wrong with you, wrong in your soul, all the disfigurements of your soul, the disfigurements of your life, the bleeding, the hurting, the wounds, the mistakes, the errors, the sins. It was our pains he carried. Our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. It was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins. The old song says, were you there when they crucified my Lord? And I say to you, I'll answer it. Yes, you were there and I was there. Behold that cross. You see that cross on that picture? Right in the middle. Two thieves hanging on either side. On that cross, you were there. I was there. Our sins were crucified on that cross. On that cross, God looked down as Jesus hung there between heaven and earth. Two sides to that cross, vertical and horizontal, vertical reaching up, horizontal reaching out. At the intersection of the two, you meet God. You were there and I was there. Our sins put him there. And God looked down on Jesus that day and blamed him. Blamed him for everything you and I have ever done. Blamed him for the stealing. Blamed him for the cursing. Blamed him for the drug abuse. Blamed him for the alcohol. Blamed him for the adultery. Blamed him for the murder. Blamed him for all of it. It was all blamed on Jesus. Heavenly court was held that day. And Jesus hung there carrying the weight of our sins, looked up and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as he hung there like that, God looked at him and said, guilty, guilty. People say, if there's a God, how can he allow all these things to happen in this world, all this pain, all this misery? If there was a God, he would stop it. I don't see God anywhere. Let me tell you where you see God, that middle cross. Because there at that middle cross, he was saying, I love you. I love you. I love you enough to die for you and to take your sins upon me. And he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be called the righteousness of God. Isaiah goes on, we're all like sheep that have wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And God has piled all of our sins, everything we've done wrong on him. All in? Or fold, 
All in or fold? If you fold, sir, and if you fold, ma'am, you'll answer to God for what you did with that middle cross. Oh, not me. I'm Houdini. I get out of any jam. I'll get things right somewhere when I'm talking to God. Listen, when you face God, you're not going to say a word. Your life is going to flash in front of you like a movie. And you're going to wish that somewhere in that movie you went all in. You know, our nation is in about a $13 trillion debt now, virtually impossible to ever get out of. But I'm going to tell you where there's one worse debt that I know about, and that is the debt of the sinner who doesn't let that debt be canceled out by the blood of the cross. That's a debt that is kajillions worse than the $13 trillion debt that we're in right now. On the cross, Jesus took a debt he didn't owe. He was a righteous man. He didn't owe it. But he went in my stead because I owed a debt I couldn't pay. I needed somebody to wash my sins away, as the song says. Jesus took our massive credit card debt of sin that was gaining and compounding interest by the day and zeroed it out. Wouldn't you love for somebody to call you and say, Hey, I had a look at your visa. And, and I'm wealthy. I'm a billionaire. And, and you know, I just, had a, I, just, I, just, I just decided that I was going to cancel out, zero out your visa card. Would you say... Well, thank you. Or would you have a benefit right on the spot? Would you put the phone down once you found out it was real? And would you go leaping and jumping and praising God that somebody zeroed out your account? Until you come to Jesus, you are burdened down with a debt you'll never pay. But at that middle cross, the blood flows over your sin. And when you say, Jesus, forgive me, God says, zeroed out. That's why we're excited here today. Now, the fourth ace, think about it now, his birth, his works, his death. Here's the fourth ace, what we celebrate today, his resurrection. Three days after his crucifixion, he rose from the dead. Now, listen carefully. It is this resurrection from the dead that separates him from all others. Go to the tombs of the founders of the great religions of the world. Go to their tombs. And if you could get them to talk back to you, shout into them, Muhammad! And you would hear, Hear! Buddha! Hear! Confucius! Hear! Moses! Hear! Jesus Christ! I said, Jesus Christ, silence, because there's no one in there. There's no one in there. He is risen just as he said. He is risen from the dead just as he said. The, early, uh, the empty tomb changed everything. It validated everything he ever said. I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me will not die. Though he die, yet shall he live. Everything Jesus ever said was validated 
by the resurrection from the dead. It confirmed who he really was. I am not any normal man. I am the God man, the man God. I am God come in the flesh. I am the Messiah predicted by all the prophets. It confirmed who he really was. Think about it. Lying in the tomb three days dead. As dead as dead could be. They took him down from the cross dead. They wrapped him in grave clothes dead. They carried him. Joseph of Arimathea put him in a borrowed tomb dead. And on the third day, I wish I could have been in there. I wish I could have experienced it, felt it, because there he is. He hasn't moved in three days. He hasn't breathed in three days. He is a dead man. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God came into that tomb. The Spirit of resurrection came into that tomb. The same Spirit that is here today. The same Spirit that comes into believers when you believe in Christ. The Spirit of resurrection comes to live inside of you. The Spirit of resurrection came into that tomb. There was a silence that was holy. And suddenly, Jesus Christ, I know it echoed in that tomb, breathed his first breath in three days and nights. I am convinced it gave hell a coronary. Because Satan was saying, there he goes, finally. We killed him, got rid of him, that troublemaker. But see, Satan overplayed his hand. He killed an innocent man. He, he, he spilled innocent blood. And Jesus Christ sat up in that tomb. Then Jesus Christ stood up in that tomb. The angel didn't move the stone away to let him out. He moved the stone away to let us in. If you've ever been to Israel and seen that empty tomb, oh, what a moment that is when you go into that tomb and sit there and just take it all in that the Son of God lay there one day and then he got up and walked out into the sunshine of the first Easter morning and said, good morning, what a beautiful day. I'm risen from the dead. Now I am Lord and Savior and Messiah of the entire world. And I got good news for you. That resurrection power is available today. Listen, I don't care what you're hooked on. If you're hooked on alcohol, that resurrection power of Jesus Christ is greater than the alcohol. If you're hooked on some other addiction, cocaine, smoking, drugs, something, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is greater than your addiction. It can break it just like that. We're here today to tell you that there is a power that is greater than any power on earth. It's the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is an event that is on the way. And I want to go ahead and tell you what's coming. One day soon and very soon, a trumpet in heaven is going to blow. And when that trumpet blows, listen to what the Bible says is going to happen. Dear disbelieving friend, can I tell you what's on the horizon according to the same Bible that told us Jesus was coming, would die, and would rise again from the dead. This Bible says that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the last trumpet, the dead who are in Christ are going to rise just like he did. You say, how in the world is that going to happen? By the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. The same resurrection power. You know... When I preach a funeral, when it's the funeral, 
of somebody who died in the Lord. It's never a sad funeral. No, we always share the same message. This is not a permanent goodbye. This is a temporary goodbye because it says the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain together shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. You say, Jeff, do you really believe that? I believe that a virgin had a baby. I believe that a dead man got up again. Yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is going to call the dead out of the grave. Resurrection power. The same power that changed my life when I came to Christ as a teenager. The resurrection power is what comes to live inside of you when he becomes yours and you become his. I'm going to ask us to stand together right now. Could we? Can you say with me his birth? His works, his death, his resurrection. Seeing the hand all in or fold. I'm going to ask you to bow with me for just a moment, would you? Forty years ago, I heard what you have heard today. And I went all in. And I said, Jesus, I give you my life. And let me tell you, he didn't turn me into something I didn't want to be. He turned me into something I always wanted to be. He gave me courage, strength to overcome, hope, a future, a purpose, a vision for my life. And I saw real quick God didn't want to hurt me God didn't want to take anything away from me that wasn't hurting me anyway but God really did want to bless my life and I assure you dear friend on this Easter Sunday God wants to bless your life and he puts the question to you today all in or fold I'm going to challenge you today to go all in. Some of you have drifted from the Lord. You've gotten away incrementally, step by step, over time. And you have awakened lately and said, you know, I know I'm not where I used to be with Jesus. And God's been dealing with your heart and already speaking to you. And you know what he wants? You know what he wants. He's saying, all in. See, you're not going to know what God's got for you until you're all in. Maybe you've never in your life had the miracle of being born again. That means that you just turn to Him in faith and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord. And the resurrection power of God comes to live inside of you. Not a New Year's resolution and not rehabilitation not walking out of here with a bunch of rules to live by, but a relationship to enjoy with God. If you're in either one of those two categories, I've drifted, Pastor Jeff, or I don't know that I've ever, there's a question mark about whether I've ever really been born again. I'm going to ask you to do something. Forget about everybody that's in here. This isn't about them. This is between you and the Lord. 
and say, Pastor Jeff, I'm in one of those two categories. Would you just slip your hand up right where you are and let me see you all over this place? Many. I'm going to pray with you today. In just a moment, I'm going to call you down here to the front. Say, why do I need to come down there? Because as soon as you take one step, here's what you're saying to God, all in. All in. But some of you here today don't even have a church home. You're a believer, but you don't have a church home. You know, it's great to visit around, and it's great to get your feelers out, but there comes a time where God just says, I've given you a piece here. You're being fed here. This is your church family. And there comes a day where you say, all in. And I'm just going to make this my church home. You know, it makes an amazing difference when you commit to a place. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord, the psalm says, will flourish in the courts of our God. So I'm going to ask men and women, singles and marrieds, with families, no families, just a couple, or with kids, whatever, I'm going to ask you, if you feel like God is saying, it's time, all in, I'm going to ask you to come when these others do. So if you raised your hand saying, I've drifted, or I don't know that I've ever been born again, but I want to settle it today. I want you to slip out and come as we begin to sing right now. Slip out, take one step, and you've said to God, all in. And the minute you do, peace is going to begin flooding your soul because it's the greatest decision you'll make. Come on now as we sing. All in. surrender everybody my blessed Savior, if y'all could spread out ushers I need help down here to spread them out a little bit please this way thank you Lord right. sing it everybody we're gonna wait you come now God is speaking to you, stirring your heart. Oh, to Thee, my blessed Savior. There's more. I know there's more. There's a struggle going on. Take that step. It's a step of destiny. I surrender all. It's a step of destiny. I surrender. One more stands. I want everybody to sing it because God is moving and people are being changed. Sing it now. Come on, friend. A step of destiny. It's time. It's your day. It's your day.
what a wonderful harvest. And I want to have everyone down here who came to get right with the Lord, listen carefully to me. This is an ending and it's a beginning. It's the ending of the way of life you've had. It's the beginning of a new life. So remember that cross up there in the intersection? We've met God in the intersection of that cross. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and then I'm going to ask you to go into the back with our counselors. And we're going to pray with you back in the back one more time and let you out. But right now, we're coming to the living God. Now it's between you and Him. So I want you to forget about everyone and pray this prayer with me and say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me rose from the dead so that I could be saved today from sin and the consequences of sin. I meet you at the cross. Lord, come into my heart with that resurrection power and guide my life from this moment forward. You are my Savior and my teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look at me just for a moment. Now, I prayed that in juvenile home. And there were a lot of rough turns after that. But it was the beginning. And God changed my life from that moment forward. A Holy Spirit has touched you today. The Bible says nobody can come to Jesus except the Spirit of God draws him. So... Keep that in mind. We're going to counsel you, pray with you a little bit in the back, and then let you back out. So I'm going to ask you, George, follow this man right here and several counselors with him into the back. Would you please go ahead? There's a long, long line. Go with him. Follow him back there. Hey. 